0: So children, you're uh, free to leave and uh, go to Children's Church, and if you're new here and you have a child and you'd love for them to join in with this, it's a great experience for the children as they uh, get to hear about God's great love for them. And uh, they're taught by people that really not only love them, but love the Lord as well. And so uh, we invite them to do that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, or I think maybe even this past week, uh, many of you received a letter from me about our Christmas offering this year, and it's broken down into two parts. The first is going to be for a, a staff love gift uh, that uh, that our staff, does a, this team of folks does an amazing job here, and, and from uh, office stuff to uh, all these other areas that are, are so important uh, to get things done, and so so that's part of the gift. The second part of the gift is is for a ministry called Cornerstone Ministries. A number of you have come up to me over the past, uh, since receiving the letter, and you've said, I read the letter but I need to understand a little bit more what Cornerstone ministry is and so the great thing is it's a local ministry and uh, one of the and another great thing is this is that three of the individuals and the founder of Cornerstone Ministries is uh, is with us today so we're gonna invite up Jordan Curtin and Brian come on up here I'm gonna give them a few minutes so that you can yeah please uh, give it up for them uh, It'd be great. So I've had the privilege of knowing Jordan almost since the time I got here uh, because Jordan uh, was good friends with Margie, and uh, anytime you're a good friend with Margie, you sort of like know half the population. So, um, but anyway, so you founded this ministry. This is Brian. This is Kurt, who are, are uh, participants or pe- uh, people in the ministry. And so I want to turn it over to you. Explain to us what Cornerstone does and what you've seen happen in the process. Okay. okay. Thank so you very much, you're welcome, Jordan.
1: So my name is Jordan Jesse. I'm the founder for Cornerstone New Hope Ministries. Um, we are a uh, reentry facility So we normally cater to men that have been incarcerated for 20, 30, 40, uh, 40 years. So we help them, you know, find work. We help them uh, get back on their feet and reintegrate back into society. Uh, We believe in a three-prong approach, which is a, a structured living environment, work opportunities, and then moral rehabilitation. And moral rehabilitation includes biblical principles and. Changed from the inside out by the power of Jesus Christ, and and, and um, you know my wife and I and our two children, we welcome these men into our homes and treated them like our, our our family, and just seeing just how these men have developed over the years and giving back toward the community to the community and just being uh, just awesome participants in the program. And, these guys grow for years. I've uh, also participated with prison Fellowship, So I've known these guys for multiple years um, inside of prison as they went through the tuning program and uh, classes through prison fellowship. So just seeing these guys grow and, you know, having them come out into, uh, back into society, you know, and just seeing their lives change has been just just
0: an awesome experience. Yeah. So and and you guys I mean you talked about going from the inside out and it's uh, when you talk about moral rehabilitation it's it's it, that's that's a nice way of saying it. we believe that Jesus Christ is going to do the work, you know, and so that's what it boils down to. So that's great. That is great. Yeah, Go so ahead. I'm just a second. We're changing the second part of the Christmas offering. You guys are right. Okay, go. Go, Brian. Go.
2: you. Awesome. I see over 38 people raise a man for the price, which is the ultimate <laughs> money. Um, I got out in, uh, two and a half years ago, I had a 543 credit rating, I had a 722. I had more money in the bank than I ever had. I've maintained two or three jobs, I've been a full-time or half-time
0: student a whole time that and out. And uh, did I say I had more money in the bank? Than yeah, 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 yeah. I thought I needed a car. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but uh, I'm thankful for volunteers uh, that actually brought the gospel to open the chapel doors and allow us to have service and this congregation is part of that for so sending the pastor and Margie and uh, people that work in the prison system actually come to this, this church too and uh, they were always light, always a comfort
0: and uh, so mm-hmm. I'm just going to be thankful today. Thank Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kurt. Thank you so much. Good. You good? Right. So as you, as you consider your uh, generous support of uh, the Christmas offering, uh, this, hopefully now you have some faces to go with this uh, powerful ministry that's happening through Cornerstone. And I'd like to pray for you guys right now. So, Father, I thank you so much for these guys and, and for the lives that have been touched, not only by these three, but uh, the other men that are in the reentry home. We thank you for the way that you're work happens uh, through Jesus Christ and we thank you that you've equipped Jordan and his family to to walk through this time and we pray that you would continue to guide and direct them and use them for your kingdom and that more more Kirk's and more Brian's and, and Chris's and others would continue to have their lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this church, and, and thank you for what you've provided for us, and we pray now as we take this offering that uh, you would use it for the advancement of your kingdom, uh, both for ministries that this church does as well as ministries uh, that are happening throughout this world. We love you, and we thank you, and may we uh, be a people that is generous. In Jesus' name, amen. So, ushers, please come forward and receive the offering. Love you, bro. God bless you guys. Thanks, man. That was awesome. Thanks, Brian. Oh, you're welcome, bro. So, God bless you, buddy. Thank you so much. Can you drop this in the uh, in the plate for me? It's good to see you. So it's the second Sunday of Advent. We've already talked about the fact that we're focusing and we're talking about love today. And and as we talk about love, there's a variety of definitions out there about it. And so I thought uh, to help get us underway that I would talk to you about some of the definitions that many, many experts uh, have given over the years. And so Billy, age four, defines love this way. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know, you just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Bobby, age seven, says this. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Sounds like a pretty bright kid. Noel says this. Noel, age seven, says this. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. <laughs> I don't think... Uh, that guy's parents appreciate him wearing it every day, but that's the way it goes. Nika, age six, perhaps has one of the most powerful definitions of love. Remember, she's age six. She says this If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. Age six, she says that. Two more. Mark, age six, said this. <laughs> Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. (laughs) Eight-year-old Jessica defined love this way. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. Powerful, isn't it? Out of the words of babes, you hear these great truths an author by the name of Leon Biscaglia, he's a noted author who wrote a number of books on relationships and human connectedness was asked to judge a contest that was looking for the most caring child and the winner happened to be a 4-year-old child whose next door neighbor was an elderly individual who had elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife upon seeing the man cry the little boy went into the old gentleman's Cut through the old gentleman's yard, walked up onto the, up onto the porch where the old man was, was crying, and he crawled up into the man's lap and just sat there. When his mother asked him what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said this Mommy, I said nothing. I just helped him cry. See, love is powerful. When love happens, it is a powerful experience for everybody. Not only for those who are showing love, but those who are receiving love. There is this powerful experience that happened. And as Jesus Christ comes into this world, and the name of this series is He is on His way, people were looking forward to seeing love. People were looking forward to this love this love becoming a reality. And as we look at the prophet Isaiah, we see these prophecies of proclaiming love. One is coming. One is coming is going to be, bring hope, love, joy, and peace. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, and we start looking there. And if you have it on your, on your Bible app and your phone, scroll there. If you want to use one of the pew Bibles, it's on page 572. But we start at verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 7. It says this, Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz. Ask Yahweh your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put Yahweh to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Yahweh will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes so that we can see love, that you would open our ears so that we can hear these amazing words of love that you have for us. That you would open our minds that we would understand more significantly what it means to love. And that you would open our hearts so that we would be transformed by the powerful love that you have for us and for all of creation. Lord, may no one hear anything that I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear, that you desire them to hear. And Lord Jesus, may you receive every last ounce of glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's love. Very big. Very huge. But there are some facts about God's love, and we see this in these very few verses that we look at here. And what I want you to notice is this. As you read through that passage, there's a word that's missing in that passage. The word that's missing is love. Read through the passage. There's no mention of love here. But yet, this passage oozes with love. It overflows with love. And that's the thing about love. You don't necessarily always need to be speaking it, even though that's not a bad thing. But it is something that people can see. It's evident in the way people live their lives. And so this love that we're talking about is a true love. It's a factual love. A factual love. Researchers say this, that it only takes four minutes to determine if you like someone or not. First impressions matter. In four minutes, when you meet a new person, you are already making some, you are making some conclusions about whether or not you would enjoy being with this person or not. One of the, and you've heard me talk about the times that I play golf, and, and within the first 15 minutes, I know if this is going to be an enjoyable round with this person or not. And it's all because of the way they conduct themselves. But within four minutes, you can see that. Expressing gratitude here's another fact about love. Expressing gratitude towards people you love results in an immediate spike in happiness levels, both for you and the person that you're saying that that you're expressing this to. And this last fact is perhaps the most stunning of all. The reason why it's most stunning is because it was a a study that lasted for 75 years. That is a long life for a study. And so these researchers at Harvard did a 75-year-long study and found this, that people's happiness and fulfillment almost exclusively revolved around love, Or the search for love in essence the pursuit of love predicted a person's well-being simply pursuing love simply being a loving person simply being receptive to another person's love that's a huge thing now granted here's a little caveat if a person's pursuit of loving crystal meth that's not a positive that's not a productive way to go but a healthy pursuit of love has, well, has, has incredible benefits for everybody involved. And as we see this passage, we see Isaiah. We see Isaiah looking and talking with King Ahaz, saying, I love you so much, you've got to pay attention to what's going on around you. We look at verse 10. Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz, ask Yahweh your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Fact. The Lord's love is an invitation to ask him. Notice what it says here. Ask me. In essence, ask me. Ask me whatever it is. Look at this. From the, great, from the deepest depths to the highest heights. The deepest depths. The deepest depths on the planet is found in the Mariana Trench in the Western Pacific. Its depth is over 36,000 feet. The highest heights at the peak of Mount Everest, over 29,000 feet. What God is saying to Ahaz is this, and this is why his love is so ginormous. What he's saying is, between the deepest depths and the highest height, that means anything and everything. Ahaz, I'm inviting you to ask. That's powerful love. That is a powerful love. And it's a fact that... The Lord's love reaches across a humongous spectrum of life. Just to give you a quick background about Ahaz, this guy became king when he was 20 years old. He reigned for 16 years. Over the course of that 16 years, you wonder how many times he obeyed God? Not once. 16 years. 16 years, this king was bent on taking care of only himself. For 16 years, God continued saying, you can talk to me, we can interact, I want you to go in this direction, I want you to to be free. But Ahaz, time after time after time, said, not interested. And it's real easy for us to throw stones at Ahaz and say, what a fool, what a moron, what is he thinking? But what strikes me in this passage is God's love is for all people. Ahaz, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve God's love, yet God keeps reaching out. You heard Tim and Kylie talk about, talk about the powerful love. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, God's love expands. God's love is big enough to go through all of this. And God's love today Is reaching out to you right now. God's love to you today is saying, I'm here. I came. I want the very best for you. But notice Ahaz's response in verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put Yahweh to the test. God knows that Ahaz is a piece of work. God knows that that Ahaz has always been looking out for only Ahaz's Ahaz's ways. But yet Ahaz rejects this invitation of love. He rejects this invitation of love, and, and as you look at it, at first glance you're going, well, that's pretty admirable of him. That's pretty pious of him. He doesn't want to put the Lord to the test. But here's the problem. In essence, what Ahaz is saying to the Lord is this, listen, I can take care of myself and this country very well on my own. I don't need your help. It's what I like to call the SOS ailment that comes on all of us. The SOS ailment where instead of receiving God's love, we look for love in other places where where it's not going to be found. The first is this, we think that by only looking to love ourselves that we will be, that will be fulfilled. So as you look to love yourself, and I'm, hear me on this, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about a healthy godly understanding of how much you have value in God's eyes and how much he loves you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about only looking to yourself to take care of your own love, that you will be able to love yourself better than anyone else. It always falls apart. But instead of looking to God's love, perhaps you don't look to 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 simply only looking at yourself, but you look to others for love. Well the problem with that is that people are broken. The problem with that is that there's gonna be there's gonna be some problems that come along the way. And so there's self, there's others That we look for to love us. And then the last one which we struggle with mightily during this time of the season during this time of the year, and it's this stuff. I've lost count how many commercials I've watched this year where it's all about give me, me, gimme, gimme. And there's one commercial right now, and I think it's for old Navy, and it's Neil Patrick Harris. And it's a talk show. And he's getting everybody wound up, and he says this, and, I, and I'm going to mess up the line, but he says something along the lines of, I am going to get everything for Christmas. And Heidi was there when I was watching this commercial, and I said, that is so much garbage. I, I said, this, this guy ticks me off right now. So much for me being the spirit of Christmas. But anyway, my point is this. The SOS ailment, when we allow it to take control of our lives, we will then be firing up an SOS to the only one that can truly love us. And so Ahaz says, I'm not going to put him to the test. And then look what happens in verse 12. Look what happens in verse 12. Or 13, I'm sorry. Then Isaiah said, Here now, you house of David. Notice what Isaiah is doing here. He's not simply talking to Ahaz anymore, he's talking to the entire lineage of what Ahaz is to represent, the house of David. He says, Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Will you try the patience of my God also? People back in that day had been praying for kings. They they were always praying for kings, that their kings would be a godly individual. But Isaiah seems to be sharing the frustration, the aggravation that he and the people are experiencing because these kings continue to turn away. And he says this, you're trying our patience, and are you not trying the patience of God? Now, some of you are out there saying, well, wait a second, God's love is patient. Yes, it is. I completely agree with that. And it goes to this next point. God's love is not only patient, but God's love is tenacious. When I ask people to define God's love and and give me descriptors of it, so often they talk about his love being patient, his love being unconditional, his love being kind, his love being this, his love being that, but I rarely have ever heard the word tenacious before. But as you hear the definition of tenacious, I think his love is that and so much more. The definition of tenacious is this. It's an adjective, first off. Second part is this. Holding fast. It is characterized by keeping a firm hold. His love is tenacious. His love is something that is so strong and so and it holds fast in times of good and in times of bad. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. But it is a tenacious love. It is a deep love. And notice what Isaiah says here. He says this at the latter part of verse 13, and this is an ominous sign for Ahaz. Will you try the patience of my God? also. Isaiah said to Ahaz over and over again how much God loves, how much God cares. It's our God. He cares about us. He's going to take care of us. And now Isaiah says, "Uh uh-uh. The God that you're pursuing is not my God. Are you going to try the patience of my God? Are you going to try the patience of this one God? And notice, he's very careful. and He's not very careful. He's very direct. He says, this is my God. You and I are not worshiping the same one. Isaiah understands that love involves direct communication. He doesn't talk about the God of the universe. He doesn't talk about this or that. He says, this is my God. A tenacious love allows us direct communication. A tenacious love allows us to go before him and ask. A tenacious love doesn't fail. And when Isaiah under, what Isaiah understands about God's tenacious love, he understands this, that God's tenacious love is going to accomplish only what God's tenacious love can accomplish, and it's this, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Whether you accept what I'm about to say or not, it still holds true. God's love for you, God's love for me, is always seeking our best interest. There's never a millisecond, a nanosecond, where God says, yeah, I'm not too interested. His tenacious love It holds fast. It holds firm. It hangs in there. It doesn't waver. It never wavers. Keep your finger there and flip to Luke chapter 15, please. And Luke chapter 15 has one of, if not the most famous of all parables. It's got to be in the top three. In your Bible, starting at about verse 11, if you have these little titles of, of what you're about to read, it'll say the parable of the lost son or the parable, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. First off, it's misnamed. It's not about the lost son. It's about this incredible love that the father has, this tenacious love that the father has. So it should be called the parable of God's tenacious love. When I write a Bible, that's what this parable is going to be, okay? But it's about God's tenacious love. And so we're not going to go through the whole story. I want us to go to verse 20 and look at this. So the parable, the, the son comes to his senses. He got up and went to his father. And notice the next part of the verse. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. God's tenacious love holds fast and firm. The prodigal son had run away, but what do we see here? Notice, first off, the father is looking for his son, he didn't give up on his son. God's tenacious love does not give up on people. God's tenacious love keeps looking. God's tenacious love keeps reaching out. God's tenacious love is there all the time. But then the other thing, and this doesn't get talked about very often. He sees his son a long ways off, which speaks to the depth of this great love, that he, this tenacious love that he has for his son. But then also this, it says, he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Back in Jesus' day, fathers never ran. It was considered undignified. This father runs. God's tenacious love runs. God's tenacious love doesn't care what it looks like. God's tenacious love is pursuing, and that's what's going on here. And so Ahaz has rejected it. Isaiah says, listen, this is, my God is, is going to get this done. And we're back to Isaiah chapter 7. God's love holds fast and it holds firm because his love does not waver even when we waver. That's love. That's tenacity. That's that tenacious love. And notice what Isaiah says here in verse 14. Therefore, in essence, what he's saying to Ahaz is, listen, since you're not going to go forward on this, I want you to know, and perhaps you think that you've got this all figured out, I want you to know what? God's bigger, and this is what God's going to do, and it's the verse that, that we hear during this time of the year all the time. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Notice what Isaiah says here. He says, the Lord himself will give a sign. Meaning, God himself is going to be involved in this. This isn't some humanity made up thing. This is God himself giving a sign. It's God himself working in the midst of history. It's God himself coming into play here. Because notice what he says. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. His fast, firm love is clearly seen. How do we see it? Emmanuel. God with us. John chapter 1, verse 14 talks about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek there is talking about he tabernacled with us. He sat down. He lived among us he understands us entirely. His tenacious love was willing to come in to the situation. And in, Isaiah, and in, in Isaiah's situation here, he's he's lecturing Ahaz saying, listen, your time is going to come to an end, but God's not done. God's not going to be done, Ahaz. Because there's going to be one who rises up. And notice this, we need to talk about this for just a moment, and this will be a perhaps a, a Thursday night Bible study that will do sometime. But, In verses 15 and 16, he's talking about what's going to happen in Ahaz's present day, that there's going to be one who rises up, a youngster who's going to come along and will pay attention to God. So the thing about Isaiah's prophecy is it has a present day reality for Ahaz, and it also has a future reality in Jesus Christ. And so we see this going on, and notice what he emphasizes here is that there's a choice between the wrong and the right. God's love not only is factual, God's love is not only tenacious, but God's love is also decisive. It's a decisive love. He will choose right over wrong. He will reject the wrong and choose the right. And that's what Jesus Christ does. Jesus chooses rightly all the time. He chooses rightly all the time. You want to have a very quick discussion? Ask anybody, hey, did Jesus ever make a mistake? No, he didn't. Why? Because he chose rightly all the time. He understands the crossroads that we have. He understands the fork in the roads that come up because he lived it out. I can go this way or I can go this way. He understands what it's all about, and in Hebrews chapter 4:15, we're told this that he was tempted in every single way that we were, yet was without sin. In your Bibles, I would encourage you to, to, to underline Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. I'm, I may very well do this, but, but I think I refer to that verse more than about any other verse in the Bible. Why do I refer to it? It's because I'm reminded constantly that Jesus Christ understands my situation entirely. That tenacious love made a decision, made a decision to go the way that is best. That decision always chooses the right rather than the wrong. And so in this this entire experience, we come to verse 16 and 17. It says this, For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Now here's the kicker in verse 17. Yahweh will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Remember what I said earlier about SOS? We go looking for love in ourselves. We go looking for love in other people. We look for love in stuff. Ahaz made a decision, and he said, I'm looking to be taken care of by somebody other than God himself. Ahaz made a decision to align himself with Assyria. And notice what the last line says that decision is going to be the death of this people. The very one that you placed your hope in is going to turn on you and ruin everything. You see, God's desire, God's decision to love us is fact. It's tenacious. And what we decide to do in response to God's love always has consequences. It always has consequences. I ask you this morning what decision are you making about God's love in your life? As we go into this time of of getting closer and closer to celebrating his arrival, we have decisions to make. We have decisions to make. Are we going to receive his love or are we not going to receive his love? And the Lord made the decision to love us by becoming one of us. Can you get your mind around that? The God of the universe... Decided to become one of us. Why? Because he has a tenacious love. He has a factual love. And he decided to love us all the more by, coming, by becoming one of us. He made that decision. And we have to flip it. And here's the flip. What will you decide about his love? That decision... That decision means everything. It's a fact that God loves us. He gave His only Son to die for us. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's love. That's a fact. That's tenacious love. It holds firm and it holds fast. And it's a decisive love that leaves us needing to answer what will we do About his love. Father, I pray now as we process these words, I pray now that you would help us in these moments of reflecting on your amazing love. Your love that's a fact, it's not a feeling. Your love that's tenacious, it's not fickle your love that is decisive, and it changes lives. Father, we would ask by the Holy Spirit's power that you would meet us where we are as we wrestle with that love. May we submit ourselves to receiving that love realizing that it is in our best, that you have our best interest in mind all the time. So help us there, Lord. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I failed to invite the worship team up, but I'm gonna invite them up now, and as they're getting ready and getting set up, I have a couple other things just for you to process through concerning God's love. So often we sit there and... And we hear God's love and how great it is. A seminary friend of mine said this to me once. We were having a discussion. And he said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, John, when will you actually believe that God loves you? I said, Greg, what are you talking about? He said, "You proclaim God's love to people all the time. You do it with great passion. You're always doing that. You you tell me, you remind me when when we get together how much God loves me and cares about me. And yet, John, I can see it that you don't necessarily believe it about you." I said, "What do you mean?" He just said, I "Said John, God's love is freeing. It's not binding. When will you allow yourself?" to accept who you are in God's eyes and live that out. I have a feeling that there are people in here this morning that believe that God will love anybody and everybody else, but not you. The reality is this, is that God's love is for you as well. He doesn't just love you, He likes you, and he enjoys you. As we sing these next songs, my prayer for all of us is that we will believe that not only that he loves us, but that he likes us, and he enjoys us, and wants to be with us and live in us. Let's stand and sing.